Wow, what a blessing to be here today. Your music team is incredible. Matt, that, that's the way a choir is supposed to sound, brother. That is fantastic. Uh, what a staff you have. I mean, of course, Elizabeth and uh, Christy and um, Matt's leadership. And um, we've just fallen in love with your pastor, my friend, and his wife, and um, Blake and Lindsay. And um, you've just got quite a team here. So proud of Caleb. Of course, Caleb, um, I can't take any credit, but we sort of claim uh, his time at First Baptist Montgomery uh, we, we sure love, uh, love Caleb and Sarah and their family, and um, we love this church. It, it, feels, uh, it feels like we're home here. Um, somebody asked me this morning, they said, do you get to share like this a lot? And I said, more and more I do, and they said, do you get nervous? I said, not here, because I'm at home. It's like I'm amongst my grandparents. I can't mess up here. Uh, this is great. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Blake. Thank you for the opportunity. We love this church, and uh, I'm going to try to take the advice. I don't see Caleb, but I probably gave him uh, all of our young intern guys that would come through the church. I would always tell them that there's never been a bad short sermon ever. Uh, so I'll try to take my own advice today. So we'll, we'll jump in. I won't belabor the point, but just to say that we love you deeply. Uh, we feel very indebted. Um, we feel very indebted to this church. Thank you for what you did for us. Um, so uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get started uh, and jump in pretty quickly here. Um, I think you've got a, a listening guide. I had lunch this week with our friend Buddy Champion, and um, I'm going to quote Buddy. Buddy used to say, uh, if you can follow my train of thought, that is not a compliment to you. Uh, and so you might want to take that and, uh, and follow along as we jump in. I enjoy, uh, Christy and I are not huge movie people, but I enjoy movies that are based around true stories. That, that has always sort of grabbed my attention. Um, I, I never have been more of the uh, sci-fi stuff. That's just not my thing. I, I like movies that are, that are built off of true stories. And uh, we recently got to see the movie, uh, The First Man. Has, has anybody seen uh, First Man? Raise your hand if you've seen, seen the movie. Okay, a few of you have seen it. Of course, it is tracking the story of uh, NASA putting uh, man on the moon, stepping on the moon. And uh, as I watched that movie, in fact, uh, I, I thought um, when I saw the movie advertisement, I thought, how cool would it be to watch that movie with Jim Odom? Like just to sort of track the, the fact check the thing, to see, uh, to see how close they got, they got the movie. But as I, as I watched that movie, I, I, I went back in my mind as I was watching and I remembered a wonderful visit that I had in the home of Sarah and Ray Etheridge. And I remember sitting there in their living room visiting with them and, uh, and Sarah, I began to ask him questions. After 25, I think, years at NASA, I was asking him questions about what was that like? What did you do? What? And he was, with all humility, he, he was very humble about it. And Sarah kept saying, why don't you show Chip your room? And he, he would sort of play it off. And she said, show him, show him, go ahead and show him. So they, they take me back to this room where there was memorabilia there on the wall, pictures and uh, memories of things at NASA. And it just so intrigued me that men and women like Ray and like Jim Odom and like Bo Chanel, and they're, they're all, over this, all over this room today, who have used God-given intellect and ingenuity to achieve some of the greatest things in human history. It's, it's really incredible. And so today, we're going to look at a true story, just like that, a true story um, in the life of Jesus that has critical eternal implications, not only for all of us here in this room, 
but also for every person on this planet. We're gonna start with this question. You might wanna write this down. The question is, what is your greatest need? What is your greatest need? And I want you to really consider that for a moment. What, what is your greatest need today? What is your greatest need? As I think about that question, um, I sort of thought about categories in my life. Maybe um, it's easy for me to think about it in terms of what do I pray for? What are things that um, sort of categories of things that I tend to pray for? And I I came up with this list of four. Um, I I think uh, if I'm really honest, I think a lot of time my prayer centers around um, I want me and I want those I love to have health. That's the first one. You can write that down, health, wealth, companionship, and then achievement. Health, wealth, companionship, and achievement. So health, Lord, I want to live a long time and I want everything to work the whole time. That's the prayer. I want to live a long time and I want everything to work right, right? That's the prayer, health. And then wealth because money and stuff, after all, gives me more options, right? If I have more things, more money and more stuff, then I got more options. Companionship, I want to be loved and I want to love in return. I want to love and to be loved. And then achievement, I want... I want someone to notice that I did something. I want to feel like I did something that, that mattered, something important. So we're going we're gonna to consider that today. If you would turn in the scripture to Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin there. A familiar story to you, I'm sure, Mark chapter 2. And I want you, as we, as we look into this, to think about that question. What is it for you? What is your greatest need? If you're able to stand, would you please stand for the public reading of God's word? Just in honor of his word, I'll read beginning in verse one of chapter two. Mark chapter two. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Father, would you help us now take the living hope, the living truth from your living word, and would you apply it to receptive hearts? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So let's set the scene here. I'm a, I love stories. I'm a storyteller. Uh, I, I love stories. And this, to me, my imagination can run wild uh, as I read this story. So imagine the scene. Jesus has been in this area before. This is home, Capernaum. And so he's come home. And so uh, Mark tells us that it's so crowded in this, in this home. It's so crowded that there's no room. So just imagine this scene. I mean, People are packed in there. I have a feeling that the maybe uh, the hygiene habits in the day might not have been quite what we would expect today. And so, can you imagine everyone? It's it's hot. Everybody's sort of packed into this room. There, uh, it's noisy. Um, and so, we we find the Jesus standing there, and all of a sudden, this is just uh, this is the gospel according to Chip. But I, I see Jesus standing there teaching. And all of a sudden, can you imagine they had this thatched roof on the house 
And so Jesus, this stuff's falling down, I assume, as these four pals have climbed up on the roof because they can't get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Remember in Mark chapter one, Jesus has already done a lot of healing. And so the word's gotten out. So he's healing, he's teaching, all these people have come. And suddenly there's this interruption in the teaching because these men have climbed up on top of the roof and they're digging a hole in the roof. And so I can only imagine that Jesus was sort of, I mean, to me, it's kind of funny. I mean, he's, he's looking up, he's getting stuff in his hair and, and there's this distraction. And I would imagine if they lowered a human being through that hole, that was a pretty good size hole. Can you imagine the owner of the house? What was he thinking? I mean, he's standing there, they made a hole in my roof. Who's gonna fix that back, you know? And so here are these, here are these four pals, they're up on the roof. And so they begin to lower this, this paralyzed man down on this mat. Now, uh, not to be uh, sacrilegious about this, but imagine if you've got four ropes on the edges of that mat, I just can't imagine that they were able to let that thing down all at the same time. So we've got this guy sort of doing this, coming down, and all of a sudden he stops right there in front of Jesus. Well, obviously there's a huge distraction. Now everybody's focused on this man on this mat coming down, and Jesus turns and he looks at this man, and what does he say? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now this is where... I, I, I just, again, my imagination goes wild here to think, what were those people thinking when he said that? What was that man thinking when he said that? I mean, there had to be a sense of, well, that's great. Thanks a lot. How am I going to get back up out of here? I mean, how, I thought I was going to walk out. How am I going to get out of this room? I mean, imagine what, the, and again, the owner of the house, what's he thinking? You know, um, what are the disciples thinking? What are these people thinking when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven? Well, Jesus knows, number one, Jesus knows the characters. Jesus knows the characters. See, Jesus knows that the paralytic is frustrated. The paralytic is frustrated. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pull me back up out of here. I thought I was gonna walk out. That was the deal. You said this guy could, could heal me physically and he just told me my sins are forgiven. And so how am I gonna get out of here? So the paralytic is frustrated. The friends are disappointed. The friends are disappointed. The friends are saying, okay, do you not know why we brought him here? I mean, why, why do you think we showed up with this pal and let him down through the roof? The friends are disappointed. The crowd, the crowd is curious. I believe the crowd is curious. They, they came for a magic show. They had heard about these healings. They came for a magic show, and all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven. This is not what we came for. And then we're gonna see in just a moment that the religious leaders are angry. The religious leaders are angry. Why are they angry? They're angry because they're asking this question, is he claiming something that only God can do? Is that what he's saying? Is he claiming to do something that only God can do? And then what do we see in verse five? Look back at the text. If you look at verse five, when Jesus saw their what? When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So did Jesus see a frustrated paralytic? Did he see disappointed friends? Did he see a curious crowd? Did he see pious religious leaders? What does it say? Jesus saw their faith and he gave this man salvation. That's what Jesus saw. He saw their faith. So let's go on. Look at verse six. Look at verse six. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, so now Jesus has everybody's attention. He's got their attention now. And number two, Jesus makes the claim. So Jesus knows the characters. He's, he's watched this scene unfold, and now Jesus is going to make the claim. And he does it, notice in verse 8, he does it immediately. He didn't give them a chance to ask any question. Immediately, look at it, verse 8, immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? See, Jesus, I believe there Jesus is saying, I am not out of touch with reality. Jesus says, look, I know why the paralyzed man, I know why he's here. I know why the friends went so, to so much trouble to bring him to me. I know what the crowd came expecting to see. I know why the religious leaders are so angry. And I also know this man's greatest need. I know this man's greatest need. You see, this man's pressing need was not his primary need. His urgent need was not his most important need. His felt need was not his deepest need. And what he wanted the most was not what he needed the most. And so why do these characters in the story, when Jesus makes this claim, why do they not see it? Why do they not see it? They don't see it because they're blind to the truth. They're blind to the truth. And look, look on in verse 9, Jesus then asked the question, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? He's proclaiming, I'm not blind. I'm not blind. And then he asked them, which is easier to say? See, Jesus proclaimed at that moment that he has the authority to forgive our sins. And our greatest need is forgiveness. Our greatest need is forgiveness. And yet, do we really stop to think about that? Is that in our top 10 prayer list this week? Do we think about our separation? See, sin, sin separates us from a holy God. And I believe most days I'm more like the characters in this story than I would like to admit. I'm not sure I ever consider forgiveness as one of my greatest needs. So now Jesus has everyone's attention this is not what they came for. And yet they don't see what's happening because they don't have an eternal perspective, nor do we. Look at these familiar words. I believe they'll be uh, on the screen from Isaiah chapter 55. And I want us to read this together. Let's read this together from Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God knows that what we need the most and at our deepest level is forgiveness. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. And so for us to be connected to holy God, everything that stands between us must be removed. So then Jesus asked this question, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier to say get up, take your bed and take your mat and walk? 
See, anyone can say your sins are forgiven, but how do we really know that they are? How did the people there, how are they to know that they really are forgiven? Well, they know because of the claim, the claim that Jesus makes here. And the claim is the only one with the authority to forgive sins is God. And then Jesus says, I am God. The only one with the authority to forgive sins is God. And Jesus says, I am God. Now that got their attention. And then in verse 10, we see Jesus pivot. He pivots here in verse 10. I want you to look at that. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. See, Jesus there is saying, I not only have the authority to forgive, but I have power over the consequences of sin on this earth. And that's because Jesus is the cure. Point number three, Jesus is the cure. See, he made this claim that he has the authority to forgive sin, and then he lets them know in a very tangible way that he is the cure. See, Jesus has the authority to forgive one of the consequences of sin, which is sickness and death. In Genesis chapter three, clearly we see this, where sin entered into the world, and with it came sickness and death. It it entered into the world in Genesis chapter three at the fall of man. Now, I want us to be very careful here in that I'm not saying that this man sin did some specific sin that caused him to be paralyzed. I'm not saying that. In fact, in John chapter nine, we see this illustrated very beautifully. It says, as he went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And then Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Because of the fall of man, there is sin introduced into the world. And because of that, the consequence of that became sickness, death, pain, and suffering. And so Jesus says, not only can I forgive this man and and heal him spiritually, I can also remove the consequences of sin on this earth by healing him physically. So, So why did Jesus do that? Why did he provide the physical healing that we see there in verse 11. Why did he do that? He did that to demonstrate that he had the authority to heal spiritually. It was a demonstration that he had the authority to heal this man, to heal him spiritually as well as physically. And see, the physical healing, it was temporary. When you think about it, all those people in the Bible who were healed, they all died. They all died eventually. Jesus wasn't healing them so that they could live forever. Temporary physical healings were provided to demonstrate God's power over our ultimate need, which is salvation. And then look at verse 12. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This, this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So he, he gets up and walks out and now everyone is amazed. I'm not sure they were very concerned about the fact that his eternal destiny had been secured as much as they were that he got up and walked out of the room. They were amazed, which makes me wonder, I do wonder if Jesus might have been a little disappointed there, that they still didn't get it, even though he had, he had tried to teach them this was more than about a temporary healing. See, they celebrated the temporary, but they didn't even catch the eternal They celebrated what had happened in the temporary moment and they didn't even catch the eternal. 
I have had the privilege the last two years to uh, be a part of the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, and um, I see these truths played out every day in the lives of children and families, and I want to give you a few examples of the kind of work that we do at the Children's Home. We, we meet people's physical needs. That's part of what we do. We, we meet their physical needs. Just like this paralytic man, we meet their physical needs. Let me introduce you to a lady named Sharita. Sharita has two boys, uh, Joshua and Jeremiah are their names. She um, uh, has told her story. I've actually heard her tell her story, and it's fascinating. Um, Sharita, uh, lots of bad things happened to her, um, most of which she had no control over. She um, lost her job, had health issues, and was on the brink of putting her children into foster care. She called a friend, uh, just sort of panicked, and said, um, it's time. I, I've got to get uh, Joshua and Jeremiah in a better place. I think I should put them into foster care. And so her friend said, but before you make that call to DHR, let me call somebody that I know. And she knew someone who had a connection to the Alabama Baptist Children's Home, made the phone call, and Sharita came to live in one of our family care homes. We have three. We have one in Gardendale, one in Alabaster, and one in Mobile. She came to our Mobile home, moved in with her children. Um, the Folks who come there are able to stay for a year. Um, we um, have a social worker who's there on site, teach them how to manage their money, how to uh, tutor their children, how to balance their checkbook, um, just sort of give them some, some hope, and all the while pouring the gospel into them. I had an opportunity to hear Sharita uh, tell her story recently at one of our board meetings. And when she stood up, she was very, very nervous uh, standing in front of uh, the men and women on our board. She was, she was very nervous, and she walked up to the podium there, and she laid down her Bible, and she said, to tell you what the children's home has done for me, I want to read Scripture. And she began to read, um, she began to read from Matthew chapter 25, and she said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me. It was such a beautiful testimony. And here we see the Alabama Baptist Children's Home meeting the physical needs of people. Let me introduce you to the Bussy sisters. Um, these three girls, Mindy, Melissa, and Misty, uh, came to us uh, very young, uh, nine, uh, nine, seven, and five years old. And when you ask them about what they will often say most everything that we have now and do now is because the children's home provided it for us. And I asked them one time, I said, what's, what's the biggest thing you would isolate that, that your life is different because of the children's home? And they all three have these beautiful smiles and their faces lit up and they said, our teeth. And I said, your teeth? And they said, yes. They said, our mother, when we were little girls, we didn't wear shoes much and we didn't take care of our teeth. And in fact, they said, we, we're not even sure we had a toothbrush until we came into your care. And there was a dentist in Mobile who did free work for the children at the children's home and fixed their teeth. And now you see these girls with these beautiful smiles, and it, it is a beautiful thing. We meet people's physical needs. We also meet people's emotional needs. Um, I'm sure you're aware we have um, 24 licensed professional counselors on about 40 sites around the state of Alabama. Um, you see those listed there, and they, uh, they counsel the children in our care, the families in our care, but they also do a lot of marriage and family counseling uh, for anyone um, in communities that desperately need that help. And so we meet 
people's emotional needs. We also meet people's intellectual needs. I'm proud to introduce you to our friend Stephen Scott. Stephen actually came over for dinner at our house last week, and Christy and I got to visit with Stephen. Stephen just graduated from Sanford's Pharmacy School. Stephen came into our care when he was in the fifth grade. Um, He came into foster care with us, and um, Stephen has an incredible uh, testimony about the way that God used the children's home to give him educational goals. He was president of his class in pharmacy school at Samford and is now uh, running two pharmacies in Birmingham. He just finished his uh, residency and we're very, very proud of Stephen. Did you know that the national graduation, college graduation rate nationally for foster care children is about 6%? The graduation rate, I'm proud to tell you, at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home for kids in our care, the average college graduation rate is about 70%, 70%. And we're very proud of that. So we meet uh, intellectual needs. We also meet the immediate needs of children. One of the most beautiful things we do in our shelter care where children desperately need a place to stay in a in a very quick situation. There could have been, um, let's just say that there was a drug bust in a home and you have a two-year-old and the police will call DHR, DHR will call one of our social workers and they will wind up in one of our shelters. And I wanna say thank you to First Baptist Decatur for your part. This is a a picture just last week of the new shelter on our Decatur campus and you've had a big part in supporting that financially and we greatly appreciate um, that support. So shelter care meets the immediate needs of children. We have lots of ways that we try to meet the needs of these children and families. But what I want you to hear today is that their greatest need, the deepest need that they have is spiritual. The deepest need they have is for these children and these families to be connected to their Savior. That's their their deepest, their greatest need. Jesus says that we can be eternally connected to God the Father because He has the authority to forgive our sins. See, we have a sin problem. And sin leads our deepest affections to worship things like health and wealth and relationships and achievement, everything but God. So today, as Christians, our focus is on Jesus and we're saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, that I've been forgiven forever because my greatest need was settled at the cross. See, what's beautiful is our ultimate healing is not based on anything we can do, but it's based on what Jesus did. You may wanna write that down, our ultimate healing is not based on anything we can do, but what Jesus did. You see, there are five to 6,000, five to 6,000 children in foster care in Alabama. Wrap your mind around that. Five to 6,000 children who are in foster care. There are 500,000 estimated children nationally who are orphaned. The number globally is about 153 million. 153 million orphans globally. There are families in crisis everywhere. The average waiting list just in our counseling ministry at at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home is about six to eight weeks just to get an appointment to see a counselor. See, the need is great. The need is great and the need becomes greater and meanwhile, resources continue to shrink. shrink. The need becomes greater, the resources are shrinking. What should we do? Should we wring our hands? Should we be afraid? No, guess what? We can't solve these problems. We can't solve these problems, and it's not our job to solve these problems. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and allow him to change people's lives. See, the hymn writer had it right. He said, this is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. God's in charge. It's not our job to fix these problems. 
Dana Watson is our uh, director of our operation in South Alabama. He oversees all our work uh, in South Alabama. Dana grew up in our care. Um, he came to us in the fifth grade, I believe, um, was dropped off by his mom at the, uh, at the Alabama Baptist Children's Home. And Dana will tell you how grateful he is for what the Children's Home did for him, changed his life, and he's very grateful for that. But he says, never forget, the Children's Home didn't change me, God did. The Children's Home didn't change my heart, God did that. And he reminds us often that in our work, we must always acknowledge that the power source is Jesus. It's not us. We can't fix these problems. Only Jesus can fix these problems. I want to close with a, a story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, we have a, a director in Dothan, Kim McGaney, who uh, told me this story about a little girl. She was 12 years old. I'm going to call her Sarah. Her name is not Sarah, but I'm going to call her Sarah. Sarah was 12. She came into our care. Really tough situation. Kim said it was one of the worst she's ever seen. And she's seen a lot. She's been a social worker for 20 years. She said that when Sarah came, she didn't have, um, she didn't have any clothes except the ones she had on. Most of the kids will bring something with them. She had nothing. Um, she said she immediately took the little girl to the store, bought her some clothes. Um, the girl was very standoffish. Um, in fact, uh, Kim came to understand that she had not been called by her name. She had not been called Sarah. She had been called that other girl in her home. And so they would refer to her as, go get that other girl, not called by her name. So the house parents, all of the social workers began to uh, intentionally use her name a lot. They would call her name constantly so that she would, she would hear her name. There was a Sunday school class in a church down in Dothan that came and they, they made big letters and spelled her name over her bed so that she could see her name there displayed over her bed. They loved Sarah. They fed her. They tutored her. They helped her. And as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months, Sarah began to ask questions. And she said, I, I, I don't understand why everybody here is so nice to me. Why, why is everybody so nice to me? And so they would explain that it was because of the love of Jesus, that lots of people support the Alabama Baptist Children's Home because they love Jesus, and our job is to help you so that you can too see Jesus. Well, I want to know more about that. And she began to ask questions. And so at her age, uh, with her background, the, the uh, house parents were very careful not to rush into anything, but they would answer her questions and um, be very sensitive to her questions about the Lord. Well, she approached uh, the house mom one day and she said, I, I want to receive Christ into my heart. I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to pray. I want to be a Christian. So they knelt there beside her bed with her and prayed for her to receive Christ. So the next Sunday, the, most of the house parents, wherever they go to church is where the kids go to church. So they went to church and she bolted down the aisle at the invitation time, made her decision public, was so proud. There was uh, the house mother playing the part of mom and uh, came up there with Sarah before the church. And so they scheduled a time for her baptism. So the day came for her to be baptized, and uh, the house mom was up in the baptistry with her, and the pastor was in the water. He was baptizing uh, another person. And suddenly, Sarah turns to the house mom, and she says, I, I can't do this. Well, she thought she was just afraid. She said, it's fine. It's, it's going to be fine. He's going to baptize you. No, no, no. I, I, you don't understand. I can't do this right now. Well, well, why not? And she said, well, she said, now this little girl had been physically abused by her mother. In fact, there were scars on her head. Kim said you could see where her mother had, had hit her with objects uh, as she had visible scarring. She turns to the house mom and she says, I can't be baptized yet because 
we've got to stop and we've got to pray for my mom. She said, because what if my mom never comes to know Jesus? And my mom will never understand the love that Jesus can provide because nobody will ever show. We've got to stop right now. And so right there on the steps, they stopped and they prayed for this little girl's mother who had abused her and abandoned her. Now see, that is what the gospel can do in someone's heart. We can't do that. God can do that. The power, the incredible love of Jesus is what can do that. So, so who is this Who is this story in Mark chapter two? Who is this story about? Is it a story about friends, about some pals who who helped another pal? Is that what it's about? Is it about the physical healing of a paralyzed man, which is really incredible? Is it about that? Is it about the crowd who was curious, who was there maybe for some of the right reasons? Is it about the crowd? Is it about the religious leaders who were piously looking on? What about Sarah's story? Is Sarah's story about her? Is it about the Alabama Baptist Children's Home? No, see, these stories are about Jesus. All of these stories are about Jesus. And he is the main character. He's the main character in the story of your life and my life. And the main part or the main point of that story is that if we've trusted Christ, we've been given new clothes just like Sarah. See, we've, we've been given new clothes to put on. We've been washed clean in his love, in his forgiveness, in his mercy, in his grace. We've been freed from our sin debt. We're dressed now in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Second Corinthians chapter five, a very familiar passage to you, I'm sure. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, It's all about Jesus. Say it with me. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The story of this man, his friends, bringing him to Jesus. The stories that I'm so privileged to get to see every day in our ministry, it's all about Jesus. See, the good news of the gospel is that by God's lavish grace, our greatest need Our greatest need was met in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Lord, how we thank you for the wonderful, matchless, powerful name of Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we glide by the fact that you made a way. You made a way for sinful humanity to be connected to holy God. Today, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the incredible gift of grace. Lord, I pray today that if there be someone here who doesn't know that grace, who doesn't have that relationship that Sarah experienced, Lord, I pray that you would help them today to see you, to experience you, to be drawn to you, Lord, so that they could by faith trust you fully. Lord, would you help us as we trust you as we follow you all the way. We pray it in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.